Howdy friends, this is Matt Sewell, and you're listening to episode 44 of the Popecast, the only podcast about popes for people who love history and a good story, but have neither the time nor the interest to pick up dry, dusty history books. We've got a new sponsor this week. Thank you to the folks over at Sock Religious, where you'll find all sorts of different saint-themed socks to spice up your Sunday best. Just go to bit.ly, bit.ly slash Pope Socks and check out their stuff. They've got Pope Francis, St. John Paul themed socks, along with a ton of other excellent designs that make you make for uh, awesome birthday presents or honestly just a nice treat yourself gift. I've got pairs myself featuring Our Lady of Guadalupe, one of the papal keys, uh, and they're absolutely excellent. I love them. So once again, that's uh, bit.ly slash Pope Socks to go get yours. A quick note that that is an affiliate link, so we do receive a small portion of the proceeds. But of course, you still get the same great prices on socks for the whole family. So thanks again to Sock Religious for sponsoring this episode. Well, today on the podcast, we have a pope who was already almost 80 years old by the time he was elected. And he was really hoping to be able to retire in peace before his fellow cardinals got the bright idea to put him in charge. No, this wasn't seven years ago, or even 15 years ago. It was the 17th century. This week on the Popecast, it's the 238th successor of St. Peter, the Pope who thought he was too old, Pope Clement X. Emilio Bonaventura Altieri was a Roman by birth, born to one of Rome's most ancient noble families on July 13, 1590. In addition to the renowned Altieri name, Emilio's mother, Victoria Delphine, was the sister of the commander general of the papal armies to boot. When Emilio was born, it was two years shy of the 100-year anniversary of Columbus's trip to America, and not quite 60 years after Our Lady of Guadalupe appeared to the peasant St. Juan Diego on a hill in Mexico. Ah, and the Protestant Reformation had been underway for the better part of a century as well. Being from a wealthier family, Emilio was highly educated and ended up living a life in devoted service to the church. He received his doctorate in canon law in Rome at age 21, after which he worked under the future Pope Innocent X in the Roman Rota, the Vatican's equivalent of the Supreme Court. At age 34, in 1624, Emilio was ordained a priest. He had already been pressed into service as a papal diplomat the year before, being sent to Poland for a total of four years before being summoned back and made a bishop in Camerino, a town 120 miles north of Rome thereabouts and the same see that both his uncle and his elder brother had previously held. Sort of a family heirloom of sorts. He remained bishop of Camerino for nearly 20 years, but in the meantime was also given responsibility over making sure the territory of Ravenna wasn't flooded by the Po River, not to mention being made governor of Loreto and all of Umbria. No big deal, right? He was relieved of those duties in 1644 and sent to Naples by his former boss, now Pope Innocent X, for 11 years, after which Pope Alexander VII tapped him for another diplomatic mission to Poland, this time for 12 years. By the time he arrived back in Rome from this latest stint, in 1667, Bishop Altieri was approaching 77 years of age. No mean feat for somebody in those days. At that point, it was Clement IX who had ascended to the chair of St. Peter, and he thought it best to put Altieri first in charge of the papal exchequer, the Vatican finances, and then, not long after, naming him Vatican Chamberlain, or Camberlingo, basically the personal secretary of the Pope. 
as well as secretary of the Congregation for Bishops and Regulars. Altieri either had the gift of bilocation or trilocation, or had just developed a charism for multitasking. Either way, by all accounts, he was apparently a joyful, peaceful, obedient servant of the church in each task that was asked of him. When Altieri was 79 years old, just a month before Clement IX's death, the Pope extended to his Camerlengo the Cardinal's red hat, and as he was placing the hat on Emilio's head, said to him prophetically, You will be our successor. Now, it may seem odd that a man so accomplished and trusted by so many popes over so many years would have, ha- would have to wait so long to be named a cardinal. And on this topic, the Catholic Encyclopedia notes, quote, The reason a prelate of such transcendent merits received the cardinalate so late in life seems to have been that he had waived his claims to the elevation in favor of his older brother, end quote. That older brother was Giambattista Altieri, also a cardinal of the Roman Church, who had died in 1654. Clement IX was buried in December of 1669, and not long afterwards, 62 cardinal electors, including the newly minted Cardinal Altieri, entered the conclave to choose a new pope. For five whole months, the conclave dragged on. The two-thirds majority was flirted with a couple of times, but it turned out that the French and Spanish factions had too great a rivalry for any man to win out. And so, as the cardinals eventually realized they needed a candidate that all could agree on, On April 29th, 1670, the votes nearly all settled on the newest red hat of the bunch, Cardinal Altieri, assuming that he would be a short-lived pope. Upon being selected, Altieri reportedly said, I am too old to bear such a burden, and pointed to another cardinal, pleading that they elect him instead. His brother cardinals were having none of it, despite Cardinal Altieri's repeated refusals claiming that he had neither the strength nor the memory to be pope. But eventually, and through tears, he accepted and took the name Clement X in honor of his dearly departed boss, who himself had been 10 years younger than his new successor. Pope Clement X was crowned officially on May 11th of that year and would end up serving for just over six years in office. It turned out that while Clement was generous, he often apparently would promise the same gifts or favors to different people or the same people more than once and was generally somewhat forgetful. And so, understanding his own limitations, one of his first moves, one that would be a bit controversial in the end, Clement knew that he needed someone with a sharper mind and a more shrewd disposition to manage the daily administrative affairs of his papacy. An unofficial tradition in those days was appointing a cardinal nephew, basically, as it sounds, appointing one's own nephew to a place of special prominence in the papal court. Now, of course, we would call this nepotism and we would be correct, plain and simple, but it's important to note that in a time when rival factions and warring nobility was common, it wasn't quite so cut and dry, and many times family was all you could trust. But in any case, as it turned out for the Altieris, only one of Clement's generation, only one of his siblings, had chosen the lay life and not become either a cleric or a religious, and that was his brother. His brother had one daughter, and that person was Clement's niece, Laura Caterina Altieri. So, of course, the Altieri name was about to go extinct upon her marriage. So, in an effort to prevent that, Clement X adopted the Paoluzzi family, into which Laura had already planned to marry. And so, in exchange for the Paoluzzi's taking on the Altieri surname along with theirs, the Pope promised to make one of them the Cardinal Nephew, and that ended up being claimed by Cardinal Paluzzo Altieri, 
who, according to a book on papal genealogy by George L. Williams, quote, not only kept disagreeable news away from the aged pope, but he also became the pope's major source of information. The older the pope became, the more indispensable were the services of his cardinal nephew. The cardinal, omnipotent in his position, easily enriched himself and his family, end quote. One of these times, for example, Cardinal Paluto Altieri wanted to make a bit more money for the papal coffers, and so established a new tax on everything that came into the Eternal City, even things that the cardinals and ambassadors themselves brought in, previously a no-no, and he insisted that the Pope could make the rules that he wanted as leader of his own sovereign state when people pressed him. Only the trouble was, Clement, after finding out, uh, emphatically said he never ordered any such thing. And maybe it was an aversion to confrontation, maybe it was his memory for getting a past order, but it's safe to say that whatever it was, again, he was probably just tired. Wanted to chill a bit without any drama. But at any rate, some of Clement's other moves in terms of foreign affairs involved a plea to King James II, the last Catholic king of England, Ireland, and Scotland, to not antagonize the Protestants, as well as a strong condemnation of Louis XIV's persecution of the Huguenots, those being a religious group of French Protestants, of course. Harry Crocker, in his excellent book Triumph, quotes Clement as having said, quote, They must be led into the temple, not dragged into it. Crocker also lists one other very significant foreign affair of Clement, saying, quote, He continued the papal war to defend Western Europe from the Turks, with the battleground shifting to Poland. Here the Pope funneled money to the strapping Jan Sobieski, who would become the Poles King John III. The latter is a story likely that the great St. John Paul II knew quite well. Not long after Clement's death, Sobieski would lead an army half the size of the Turks' 150,000-man force and beat them soundly after a 15-hour siege. It's said that before the battle, Jan and his men stopped at the shrine of Our Lady of Czestochowa, the patroness of Poland, asking blessing on their arms, and it would seem that Our Lady came to the rescue. Back to Clement. Unfortunately, history doesn't consider him to have been much of an, an influencer or a significant pope in any way, and only then, if he is, it seems to be more or less in the negative insofar, right, as he gave the reins to a somewhat greedy cardinal nephew, although that wasn't really anything surprising in those days. But I'm not certain that history is altogether correct. Perhaps Clement's most lasting legacy are the saints he raised to the altars across his sixth-tier papacy allowing us to reap the spiritual rewards nearly 400 years later. He canonized the likes of St. Cajetan, Philip Benizi, Louis Bertrand, Francis Borgia, and Rose of Lima, the latter, of course, being the first saint to be born and live in the Americas. He also beatified the great Pope St. Pius V and spiritual master St. John of the Cross, in addition to the 19 martyrs of Gorkum, who had been put to death in odium fide, or hatred of the faith by Protestant rebels one century earlier in the Netherlands, all as a group of 19. On July 22nd, 1676, having suffered from the gout for most of his papacy, Clement succumbed to his illness and died, after ruling the church for six years, two months, and 24 days. He's buried in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. So it turns out, unfortunately, there aren't any surviving English translations, at least that I could find, of writings of Pope Clement X. We'll hope, of course, to have some more old papal writings featured on the next episode, but that's all for this edition of the Popecast on the Pope who thought he was too old. 
So thank you as always for listening. And thanks especially to any new listeners of the podcast. We're glad to have you as always. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast over at iTunes. Give us a follow, share on social media in case there are other armchair papal history nerds, right? Like you and I out there who might enjoy the short papal bios. Also, whether you're a new or returning listener of the podcast, please consider joining us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the podcast. There's some great benefits there for patrons and uh, those uh, those gifts ensure we can continue producing the podcast now and into the future. Um, you'll get early access to each episode. If you'd rather uh, wait to give, definitely be sure to just give us a follow at Patreon. You can join the community, start uh, commenting on these, these uh, different episodes, share what you like, what you don't like. So once again, that's patreon.com slash the Popecast. And then lastly, in between new episodes, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all at The Popecast for daily Pope quotes and old photos. So as we close this episode, let us pray for the soul of Pope Clement X, and also let us ask for the grace of peace and obedience, even when we ourselves may not see our own strength and willpower to accomplish whatever is being asked of us in this life. Until next time. <laughs>